0: We've been working our way through the book of Colossians uh, this spring. Two weeks ago was Easter, and so we took a detour. And then last week, I was on vacation, and so that detour just lasted a week longer. But this week, we will be back in the epistle that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. We'll be picking up in Colossians chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 1 to 11. But first, some context, because it's been a little while. About a month ago now, we were in Colossians 2 and we were reading that in baptism we have been buried with Christ. But now God has brought us back to life with Christ through faith. And so through faith, we are alive in Christ. And while all of that sounds fantastic, because it is, it begs the question what does it mean to be alive in Christ? In our text this morning, Paul answers that question. We turn to the text. And we read the word of the Lord, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Amen. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I'm a, I'm a pretty big fantasy buff. I, I love fantasy. And so as I was working through things, I just, I just couldn't help but going to, to Tolkien. And in J.R.R. Tolkien's fantasy epic, The Lord of the Rings, The Dark Lord Sauron, is defeated in the war of the last alliance. The armies of elves and humans are arrayed against the forces of evil. And it is Isildur, who with his foot on the neck of the fallen dark wizard, cuts the dark lord's hands off, severing his tie to the ring of power, the one ring. With the ring severed and his power gone, Sauron is defeated. Celebration breaks out amongst the uh, the ranks of this alliance. Now there can be peace. The war against evil is over. Or so they thought. But the ring was not destroyed. The source was not fully cut off. For the battle of the last alliance and the defeat of Sauron is the end of one story and the beginning of another. It took Tolkien three large volumes to tell the story of what happened next the story of Frodo and of Sam, of Gandalf, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, the story of Gollum. It would be a while before evil, before the ring, was defeated for good. And isn't that where we find ourselves today? We celebrate the death to sin that we died with Christ in baptism On Easter, we celebrate Christ's rising from the dead. Death is defeated. Christ has won, and he has. There is victory through faith in Christ, for through faith in Christ, we are spiritually brought back from the dead, and we have been given new life. And man, we're excited about that. We're pumped about that. This is this is really, really good news. And we want to please God for what He has done for us. We want to live the life that He is calling us to live. And so we valiantly pursue the things that He has called us to pursue. We, as the Apostle Paul points out this morning, we we set our eyes, we set our hearts on the things above. As we pursue a life pleasing to God, a life lived in faith, we aren't concerned with the pressures from the world around us, but we are concerned. With the things of God. We're passionate about ministry. We're excited about outreach and evangelism. We long to run from our sin. We feast on His word. We strive to keep His laws. We pray often. We fellowship with other believers. Our heart breaks for what breaks the heart of God for the lost, for the hurting. We stand against injustice and we love well and we forgive freely. But in our text this morning, Paul isn't just directing us in the direction we are supposed to be headed. He also gives us some direction of what we are not to do, or better, what we are to stop doing. Since you've been brought to life in Christ, Paul says, and and since your life is now hidden in Christ, since you have been clothed with Christ in your baptism, since you have been clothed with Christ through the faith that has been given you, You should be setting your eyes on the things of God, and you should stop doing the things of this world. Picking up in verse 5 of our text this morning, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Now that you're hidden with Christ in faith, this is what you should stop doing. This is what you need to put to death. Ending these practices pleases God. And let's be real, they make a ton of sense, right? Like this, this is pretty logical. It's it's not like this is some strange ask. It's not hard to see how turning from sexual immorality, lust, impurity, evil desires, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, which would include things like gossip and mean words directed at one another. It's not hard to see how life would be better without these things. God's requests make a ton of sense. We get how this would be better for us. We understand it. It's it's tangible. It's not a hard picture to paint. And yet, how do we feel when we see that list? We know it's good for us. We recognize that it's edifying and helpful and good, that it not only would please God, but it would make our lives better and more enjoyable as a result. And yet, when I look at that list... I know that even though the battle has been won, even though Christ has secured the victory over sin and death, there's a piece of me that hasn't fully given itself over to the new order. There's a piece of me that festers in places that I don't want other people to know about or to see. A piece of me that rebels against these wonderful and edifying instructions from God. In the Lord of the Rings, though Sauron was defeated, the one ring remained. It was not destroyed, and its existence brought suffering and pain and death to all who came in contact with it. And so it is with our sinful nature, our original nature, the old Adam, as Paul puts it in the book of Romans. Though death has been defeated, the old Adam remains. And as Martin Luther so aptly put it, the old Adam is drowned in baptism, but that dirty dog is a good swimmer. Church, Christian, our old nature is in the process of dying, but it doesn't give up without a fight. And that can be hard to admit. It's not fun to admit that we aren't all that we're supposed to be, that we aren't all that we want to be. It's not enjoyable to recognize that we have failed in doing what God has asked of us. That we have willingly and even joyfully done what he has expressly asked us not to do. We prefer to blame others, right? We prefer to blame circumstances. The temptation was too great, we reason. Or I did this because you made me do it, right? We, we, we cry. We desire so badly to put the blame for our misdeeds, our poor choices, our sin in other places, right? On on someone else, on on something else. The wrong that I did, that can't be me, we reason. I I had a bad day, man. I was pushed into it by, by circumstance. That's not truly me. That's what we want to believe. But the truth is, the reality is... That is exactly us. Deep down, those misdeeds, those poor choices, that sin is something we want. It's something that we desire. As Alexander McLaren, twice president of the Baptist Union of Great Britain in the 1800s, said so accurately, It is far easier to cut off the hand, which after all is not me, than to sacrifice passions and desires which, though they be my worst self, are myself. (sighs) How do we deal with the truth of those words? That my worst self is actually myself. It's not something else. It's not someone else. It's me. And, And as we sit in that reality, it can begin to be easy to doubt right? To doubt the good things that have been given to us, to doubt God's ability to save us, to doubt God's ability to love us. The doubt of God's love for us becomes a slippery slope to doubting God's goodness towards us. How can God have done so much good, showed so much love to me, a sinner who is totally unworthy of it? As I wrestled through that question this week, I came upon a story about Jonathan Edwards, the third president of Princeton University. It is said that Mr. Edwards had a daughter with an intense and impassioned anger or temper. As is often the case, this isn't necessarily known by many in the outside world, and a young man fell in love with his daughter and sought her hand in marriage. You can't have her, was the abrupt answer of Jonathan Edwards. But I love her replied the young man you can't have her said edwards but she loves me the young man responded and again edwards said you can't have her why asked the young man because she is not worthy of you but he asked is she, she's a christian is she not yes she is a christian But the grace of God can live with some people with whom no one else could ever live. The grace of God can live with some people with whom no one else could ever live. There are times when I can understand how my wife puts up with me and how my children don't hate me. There are times that I do not think that I can even live with myself. But the grace of God lives with people with whom no one could ever live. God's grace has not abandoned us, even even though the old Adam swims on. God's love for you and for me, for us, is not dependent on our actions, and it is not subject to our doubts. Whether we feel like we deserve it or not, Christ still came. And he still died for the sin that you and I are struggling to overcome today. Christ still paid the price, even though he knew that we would be struggling against the old nature, feeling its pull and giving in and being covered in its shame. Christ knew all of this when he came. He knew that we are each, in our own way, intolerable. He knew that we are each, in our own way, dirty, rotten sinners. And he loves us anyway. But what's more is that he has not left us in that sorry state. He has not left us miserable in the filth of our sin. Yes, we will be fighting the old Adam until God makes us new in the end, but we do not fight that old Adam alone. For as we see in our text this morning in verses 9 to 10, we read, Do not lie to each other, since once you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. We have been given a new self through faith in Christ, and this new self is being renewed. God is renewing us through this new self, this new nature. He is working on us. He is pushing us. And as we fight, as we pave new pathways through the brain and through our desires, the old Adam becomes easier to resist. Not because we are so good at resisting, but because God is renewing us and giving us the ability to resist, the strength to fight. God has not abandoned us to the battle. He has not left us without help. He has given us the Holy Spirit who is working on us, shaping us, crafting us, changing us to desire what God wants us to desire. We were at the zoo with the kids and and one of the harder animals to find tends to be the snow leopard. They have all these awesome hiding places to hide in their enclosure. And on this one particular visit, I was able to find this elusive guy, this snow leopard. And he was up on some rocks, so he blended in so well. And I was trying to get some of the boys to see the leopard. But they just kept looking in the usual places, right? Their eyes continually focused on on the ground. It got to the point where most of them had seen it but Elijah. And so I, I cupped my hand under Elijah's chin and, and physically pointed his face, turned his head to point in the direction where the leopard lay. And the poor kid, you know how it works, right? And instead of looking, he's doing this, right? He's, instead of looking where I'm supposed to be going, he's looking down, straining to see where he had been looking already. Even though I'm helping him, I'm directing him with which way to look. He's got his eyes turned down, his head's up, his eyes are down, straining to find this creature. After some gentle coaxing and a lot of pointing and direction, he was finally able to see the leopard and his face lit up with joy. Now the beauty of God's direction is not hidden like the snow leopard. It's right in front of us. But even though it's right there, we have a hard time setting our hearts and our minds on it. And even when the Spirit directs us towards it, we keep straining to continue to look in all the wrong places. But still, God does not give up on us. He does not forget us. He gently directs us the way he wants us to go. He points us back to his word given to us. And his love, grace, and mercy poured out over us. And through it all, he is gently encouraging us and renewing us. This is the life we have been brought back into. After the death we died in Christ, this is the life we have been raised by God with Christ into. A life with a future, a life with purpose, a life with hope. I love how Paul ends this portion of our text this morning right? Diversity is is not something new. The divisions that we feel in our country, in our communities, in our churches, and in our homes, it's not new. Even the early church, and especially the early church, had its divisions, and Paul is speaking directly to those divisions at the close of this text. For here, meaning the new life in Christ, meaning the family of God, meaning the church, For here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. In a world where our differences are continually on display, where injustice runs rampant and where fear and ignorance have put up barriers between people socially, racially, politically and personally, it is the truth of the gospel that is the true unifying power. This is the one thing that brings all of us together that each of us is precious, made in the image of God, and that God loves each and every one of us, but that each and every one of us is a sinner in need of rescue. Because of this and because of his great love for us, God sent his son, Jesus, to die for each and every one of us that we might be brought into relationship with him. What a promise! What a blessing. And as the divisions around us become more and more tangible, may we instead focus on what brings us together. At the end of the Lord of the Rings, the one ring is destroyed in the fires of Mount Doom. Spoiler alert. Good wins. Evil loses. One day there will be eternal victory. Good wins. And evil loses the old Adam will finally drown. One day God will make each of us new and there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more sin. One day the life that we have been given in Christ will be lived to the fullest, man. No longer hampered by the sin of our old nature. One day God will strike the final blow against evil. That will be a glorious day. I am so looking forward to that day. I can't wait to celebrate with all of you, with my brothers and sisters of faith in the courts of our God, sinless and pure. And though that day is yet to come, we can live in the hope of the life we have been given in Christ, continually being renewed by God. This is our hope. Christ is our hope for life. What an amazing God we serve. Amen.